This audio production is brought to you by TheBestDayEver.com, David Wolf's premium longevity member site. The content found on TheBestDayEver.com from David Wolf and New Horizon Health, Inc. is for informational purposes only and is in no way intended as medical advice, as a substitute for medical counseling, or as treatment cure for any disease or health condition, and nor should it be construed as such because that would be illegal. Always work with a qualified health professional before making any changes to your diet, supplement use, prescription drug use, lifestyle, or exercise activities. Please understand that you assume all risks from the use, non-use, or misuse of this information. Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm here with Donna Gates, who's the international best-selling author of The Body Ecology Diet, The Baby Boomer Diet, Anti-Aging Wisdom for Every Generation, and Stevia, Cooking with Nature's Calorie-Free Sweetener. Donna Gates has helped hundreds of thousands of people overcome immune system disorders and other health issues and achieve peak health. She's also credited with leading some of the most important innovations in natural health, including being at the forefront of probiotics and fermented foods and with bringing stevia and other products into the United States. I'm thrilled to have her with me here today and as one of the featured speakers at our upcoming Master's Workshop Monday, May 6th, where she will be talking about how to prepare your body before having a baby. Donna, welcome. Thank you, Rebecca. This is fun to do this interview with you because you just had a baby six months ago. So <laughs> you really, you really understand. We're not just talking intellectually here. You had the experience. So this is great. Yes. I have to say, I need to give you some credit. My daughter is incredibly healthy and I really attribute that to a lot of the wisdom and advice that you pass along to me so I could prepare my body properly. And this is why I really want to do this interview with you so other women have the opportunity to hear your expertise in this area and have healthy babies. But so thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you. Your daughter is so lucky. I wish, you you know, there were millions of children that were given the wisdom, you know, had the knowledge that you had ahead of time and, you're, and they had the benefit because there's literally no more important time ever. I mean, there's nothing ever that you can do for your daughter now for the rest of her life that you did for her when she was inside the womb. So this is this is a great this is a really important topic. So I want to start with autism because I know that you've done a lot of work there and for those listening, right now in the United States the latest statistic on autism is quite sobering. It's the fastest growing developmental disability amongst kids in developed countries and right now one in fifty four male births result in autism. Can you talk about the critical role a healthy gut plays in creating an inner environment in which a fetus can develop, which is most conducive to a healthy baby with a healthy brain? There are two guts involved when a woman's pregnant. There's her gut and there's her baby's gut. And obviously, her eating well, what she's eating during the pregnancy is going to, if it's broken down properly, if she's got the, the right enzymes and the food she's eating are broken down and, and then she's got healthy bacteria in her gut that are also helping break down that food. And of course, the bacteria make B vitamins and vitamin K and extract minerals from the food. So having a healthy gut is critical to having a healthy baby. There's no question. It's more, more than that though, but, Let's talk about the baby's gut because this is really fascinating to me. I was sitting in a um, class I took in embryology a couple years ago 
and we had to watch over and over again the embryo developing uh, over, you know, an embryo is like from the time of conception and then for the next 28 days is the, what's going to become a baby begins to develop. So it all starts with the fertilized egg and then it's really fascinating because in the middle of that fertilized egg, a black line suddenly appears out of nowhere and there's this moment of stillness and then that black line suddenly just splits into two lines, two, two straight and up and down black lines and then uh, there's more stillness and then they suddenly flip over and then another pause and then a little shape starts lifting up on top of them and that's the heart, then more stillness and then another shape lifts up on top of that and that's the brain. So if you go back, so already, like within moments really after conception, the most important part of the baby has already been formed. And if you go back to the beginning when there's a single line in the middle of the egg yolk that divides into the two lines, one of those lines is the brain and the spinal cord and the other one is the gut. And so they're just lines at that point, but they're going to develop further into the gut or the brain and the spinal cord. And so there were once one. And when I sat there watching this, you know, this little video, it was like a video in slow motion. And we watched it over and over again, probably 40 times or something. But it just suddenly jumped, jumped out at me that, oh, my God, there's, there's nothing that we need to say any more than this. The gut and the brain are one. They started off as one. And so they always are connected. They're always greatly influenced. So there's so much that's happening in the womb, you know, that in the brain is, is developing in the womb. I mean, there's so much the baby's quality of life is going to be determined so much by how well-formed that brain is. You know, is he going to be a happy person? Is he going to be able to grasp concepts and um, remember things? You know, that all begins in the womb. And just before the woman even has an idea she's pregnant because the first 28 days, she doesn't even know she's missed her period yet. So it's very, very important. These two organs are very important together is what I'm trying to say, I guess. Do you believe in conscious conception? Oh, absolutely. I think that, um, well, we haven't been very conscious about conceiving our babies. I think at one time, like in the generation that I was, when I was a, you know, for about of childbearing age and able to have children, most of us, we didn't have birth control and most of us hoped that we weren't going to get pregnant before we wanted to have a child. And then birth control came out. We had begun to have be the first generation to ever have any control over that. It was easy for people to get pregnant back in those days. It was rare for someone not to get pregnant, actually. And so what's happening now, though, is that it's becoming very difficult for a couple to conceive a child. And I think that this is going to continue to be uh, true and that we're going to reach a point where everybody's going to become very, very conscious and start to prepare for their pregnancies. And I and I think that just the very fact that autism is such a scary uh, you know, epidemic. A lot of couples think, well, I want to have a baby, but what if my child is autistic? And, you know, they have complete control over that. Autism is caused. It's not, um, there's something you can prevent autism, in other words. And so preparing, uh, your body to, to, uh, receive this child and grow this child for nine months is the first step to preventing autism. So absolutely. I mean, uh, but I think we're, you know, it's going to become rare. There's a movie about this not too long ago about how the world couldn't have babies anymore and uh, I think we're getting to that point actually male sperm count and it's extremely low uh, there's a lot of deformity in male sperm today women are having a lot of trouble getting ovulating properly and so on so they're not getting pregnant we're waiting women are waiting till their 40s to get pregnant 
a lot of them are late 30s or something, and so the, and then they can't conceive. Huge number of, of babies today are being conceived through IVF and in vitro fertilization. Uh, not normal the way we always easily had babies before. So I think we're actually being forced into the concept of preparing yourself for pregnancy, and that's a really good thing. It's such an important gift you're giving your child to care about, you know, them during the time they're in the womb, that it's probably a good thing we, we've made this big mistake and, and, and babies are going to become so precious and rare on the healthy babies are going to become precious and rare. It's a good thing, really, that people are going to become conscientious. You know, you know, the thing is, um, nature's very strict. And if a baby's forming in that first 28 days and there's something that they're not going to have an arm or an eye or the eye's going to be in the wrong place or anything like that, um, the baby, the nature rejects that embryo and the woman just ends up having a period as she normally would and she doesn't realize she even conceived. That's happening all the time now. And so many people are getting pregnant, but they're not able to carry that pregnancy through. They don't have enough progesterone in their system. Um, there's a whole lot of signs that we human beings as a race are in trouble and it starts right there in the womb. Can you talk a little bit about some of the contributing factors which are causing this situation? Well, way too many environmental toxins, too many artificial xenoestrogens, which mean artificial estrogens. They're um, blocking, those um, artificial estrogens are blocking the receptor sites of the cells, and so the real estrogen can't get in. Um, tremendous amount of uh, thyroid uh, disorders, like many, many, many women are hypothyroid, and even as children, we're seeing uh, low thyroid. Not enough nutrition, the mother's body's not nourished well, and, and nature knows that. They, nature realizes there's no way that this woman's body, with the toxins in it, and as poorly nourished it, as it is, can carry a healthy child forward. So it won't even let that woman conceive. I think the other huge, huge, huge problem is stress. A woman will not conceive when she's under stress because, you know, like if, just to use an analogy, if she's, you know, in a battle or running away from a lion or something, that nature knows she can't stop and, and do the things she needs to do to have a healthy child. So nature won't even let her conceive that child. With respect to conceiving a child, what would you say are three of the most important things a woman needs to do and when does she need to start doing them? Well, I think obviously she she has to get the toxins out of her body. That's a must. I'm a big believer in colon therapy because I think that today, and actually it's very clearly now, now that we can look at a person's genes, we can see that we humans are not very good at detoxifying. About 60% of Caucasians are poor detoxifiers, for example. And so we are living in a very toxic time and do not have the ability to get these toxins out. So we have to help our body get rid of these toxins. And that's why, um, you know, there's, there are certain supplements you can take, um, trimethylfolate, methylcobalamin, um, riboflavin. These type of supplements are critical to take to get the body detoxing. But even that isn't enough, really. You need to do colon therapy. And if you start doing that and get these toxins out of your body, then this baby is going to be conceived into an environment where there's far less toxins going into that baby, especially the first baby. The first baby gets the biggest hit of the toxins. So absolutely, that's critical. I think also it's really, really important to um, care enough about this child that you clear your schedule. Like a couple, women are taught to be busy right up into the moment that they give birth. 
And so they're stressed out, actually. You know, they're still uh, trying to work, maybe, or run around and do things. And uh, one of the most important things you can do is to be very peaceful during your pregnancy. No stress whatsoever. And so preparing your life so that you can be in a peaceful place for nine months or actually longer than that because after the baby's born, you've got, you're not going to get much sleep and you're going to be real concerned about being relaxed so you have plenty of milk and so on. So I would say that if a, if a woman, uh, if a couple can allow her two years to get ready for this child and create this child and nourish this child, that's a fantastic gift to give to, you know, and you really shouldn't even have a baby if you can't do that is the truth of the matter because the baby's being punished and harmed if if the mother is stressed out, if she's got these toxins in her body and she's poorly nourished. With respect to stress, what toll does stress take on fertility, conception, and then the health of a baby? Well, I've seen many, many women who can't even get pregnant because they're under stress. And, you know, they've been super achievers, you know, well-educated, and then uh, went into uh, some type of work that they even loved, and they really gave a lot of, of their heart and passion to this work. And now they're at an age and they want to have a baby, but their body for many, many years has been, you know, in, in school, becoming a good student, going to college, whatever they had to do to get prepared for their career, and then years of a career and everything. Their body's actually in a, uh, it doesn't even know how to relax anymore. It really doesn't. So I think, you know, that that's the first thing a woman really has to do is she's got to learn how to relax. And, and that may mean taking supplements like theanine and GABA. A lot of people have a chattering mind. You know, their mind's always thinking, no matter, even if they take a walk or go to a yoga class or something like that, their mind is still running through this list of all these things they have to do during the day. That's where a supplement like theanine is so important because it calms down that chattering mind. GABA is very, very important for relaxation and very important. Uh, that's even, those are supplements you can take even while you're pregnant to make sure that you stay calm. Even if stressful things are happening around you, you're, you're experiencing them, you're, you're going to the stress, but you're you're not reacting to their stress. So I, I think it's it's probably the top of the list, most important thing to do. I mean that, and of course, you know, the, the brain, the baby's brain is so extremely susceptible to excitotoxins like MSG and uh, aspartame. Now I'm imagining lots of people listening to us, and uh, you know, into healthy food, and they're not um, they're not having, they don't think they're getting aspartame anymore. But it was very very common, and by 1990, we humans were having as much as um, 800 million pounds of aspartame in our diet. So that means a lot of people are having babies when still eating aspartame. It's very damaging to the brain, uh, but especially to the infant the, the, in the womb, particularly in the last trimester in the first two years of life. And so, and, and then a lot of people are getting MSG, and they don't call it that. You know, it's in processed foods. Even many, many of the foods in the health food store that are prepared foods have MSG in them, but they don't call it MSG. They just say natural flavors or hydrolyzed vegetable protein or something. But um, rags amino acid is a very strong uh, form of um of MSG. And so that is a chemical that very much damages the baby's brain. So, you know, again, where you, you have to... Uh, literally decide that I'm not going to eat anything that's prepared. I'm only going to eat, like if I if you have broccoli, you just have the broccoli. You don't have mm-hmm. you know broccoli prepared in some kind of a soup mix or something where now they have natural flavors in there because you're getting the 
the uh, the excitotoxins and the, and the, again the baby's brain is extremely vulnerable to these toxins and it affects them for the rest of their life. They'll be high strung and nervous and many 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 problems occur that uh, you don't even realize. Even even obesity, you know, problem uh, um, tendency to gain weight is another uh, factor when you're taking in these excitotoxins, the MSG and the and again as I said I don't think people are this thing aren't going to be taking in um, aspartame anymore, but it's still in our diet, unfortunately. Uh, I, I really just eat the purest forms of food. It's very simple. Um, mm-hmm. But one thing that's imp- maybe important to talk about, you know, a baby uh, doesn't have a developed blood-brain barrier, and, and really the blood-brain barrier doesn't fully develop for a couple of years. And so that's one of the reasons why the baby's brain is so sensitive and so vulnerable during the time in the womb. Anything the woman is eating that's toxic is going to get right into that baby's brain and affect the development of that brain because the brain continues to develop through every single day of the pregnancy from the very beginning to the very end when they're out and then the the brain continues to go on and develop tremendously uh, the next I mean, the reason the baby comes out at nine months is because, you know, they have to get out because their brain is going to continue to grow and they wouldn't get out otherwise. But there's huge brain development still occurring in the first two years after birth. And so even then, you know, her breast milk, the mother feeding her baby, uh, avoiding these toxins is probably one of the most important things. That and stress. You probably would have thought I would say sugar or something like that. And, of course, sugar is bad too. But I don't think, I think everybody knows that they Sugar is not good, but I don't know if they realize they're getting these chemicals and these hidden forms that are that are affecting their baby's brain development. Yeah, with respect to the brain, during my pregnancy, I took a tremendous amount of DHA. I ate coconut oil, which, of course, you helped make really popular here uh, in this country and dispelled a lot of myths with respect to saturated fats being bad and all of that. So I took a lot of coconut oil. DHA rather than fish oil because I try to adhere to being a vegan as much as possible, but was willing to consume animal products if I felt my body needed it for my baby's health. You know, there's EPA and DHA both in fish oil, but the the baby's brain needs DHA, DHA, and you'll also get that in egg yolks. You know, sometimes uh, today you can buy eggs that are enriched. They feed the chickens so the eggs have extra DHA. Uh, you know, egg yolks actually are a superior food for a woman to eat when she's pregnant, and many cultures know that. You've got to be really careful, though, where you're getting those eggs from, you know, because you mm-hmm. there's a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. With- exactly, yeah. And the other thing was eating really, really good quality oil, like the Rollis olive oil and uh, Andreas, he cold presses. It, like the oils himself, so taking the time to really get those oils and consume them so that everything was nice and lubricated. I think that this whole understanding is going to continue of pregnancy and what pe- what the mother needs and what the baby needs is going to continue to uh, develop tremendously because you know now that we can uh, take a a woman's saliva and test her genes, for example, and find out what kind of fats she does well on. Um, that would be what would nourish her own body. But now she has a baby growing inside of her, and that baby not might not do well. Like I am one of those people that learned through my genetic testing that I thrive on olive oil 
and do very poorly on saturated fat. Most people do poorly on saturated fat. But I assumed that everybody did well on olive oil, and I just thought there wouldn't be anyone out there who didn't. I, I can't come to learn that there's a percentage of people that do very poorly on olive oil. It's not the oil for their body. So it's a tricky thing, uh, like maybe your body does well on olive oil, but the baby inside of you, does the baby do well? Because they have their own set of genes. And so I think one of the most exciting new areas of research will come about when we can now uh, test the baby's genes. And, you know, they, they'll be able to do that. It's amazing what they can do these days, and science is really advancing rapidly. We'll actually be able to find out genetically what, it's called nutritional genomics, and, it, and we'll be able to tell what the mother needs, what the baby needs, and then reach kind of the perfect diet. But we're not there yet, but that's where I think I, I can see us heading that way from what I know about, you know, nutritional genomics and all the studying I do. I can see that this is an, a, an exciting new potential for us to even create healthier babies. And I, I, my last child was born when I was 44, and he is my healthiest child. And I really, really enjoyed my pregnancy. Um, most of all, because, you know, at 44, I was a whole lot wiser, and I really understood that what was happening was a miracle. And, uh, you know, when he was born, the whole thing seemed way more of a miracle. You know, I, I am a big proponent of women waiting longer. I think they make better parents, in other words. But that same woman has to be physically healthy, and I think that's very, very possible as far as genes go, though. So we inherit these genes, and I was really shocked when I got my genes back because I am so healthy, and I inherited tons of bad genes. I, I have genes to get breast cancer. I'm a poor detoxifier. Technically, you know, I'm not, but genetically, I, I can't detoxify efficiently. I I should... Um, develop diabetes and have or at least be insulin resistant by and pre-diabetic by now but I don't have any of those problems and but genetically I, I inherited bad genes so because I've taken care of myself for years and eaten well and fermented foods and clonics and all the things I've done I have silenced those genes and that's what we want to do uh, that's what everybody will want to can do you know and you and you so when you're pregnant again you don't know what your baby's genes are and we can you can be pretty sure that if you're eating the the best foods for you and the baby too that you're going to you know again as i said as science continues to develop we'll we'll you know get this even more pinpointed and then we can find out exactly what the baby thrives on uh when you're pregnant um i think a little bit of raw butter and uh one time uh, you know here's an interesting topic is milk. There's one time I have seen in all the pregnant women I've coached and worked with that I really think women do very well in milk, uh, dairy foods during, uh, fermented of course, you know, during their pregnancy. And I would prefer them do raw goat milk or, you know, maybe if you can get sheep milk, that's excellent. Or camel milk is really, really good for you. I've have been um, encouraging more mothers when they're pregnant to you know, have the raw camel milk and then fermented and then have it in the freezer um, after the baby comes because there may be times when uh, you need to feed the baby another kind of milk other than your milk and camel milk is just an outstanding milk. So um, it seems like there's, you know, babies need milk and there's something in milk, the milk, um, fermented milk, that um, is providing the fat, especially that's sort. That's the a time when the fat in that milk is really going to be very, very important for that baby's developing brain, and it helps. And a mother who's been drinking the milk is often going to be a good milk producer herself. And again, that's so critical. Uh, the fat in the milk is 
critical for the baby's brain development in the beginning. Uh, so that, you know, uh, a lot of people don't do well in dairy and, uh, and, but that's one time I find women that usually don't do well in dairy might, could take it, you know, during their pregnancy. So I just kind of wanted to add that in there because it's a, something I've been watching for years is this whole issue around dairy foods. And how would you ferment milk? Well, we have a starter, a kefir starter, and you just literally put the milk in a little pan. And uh, what I do is just wash my hands really well and stick my finger in the milk. And when it's skin temperature, just kind of stir it around. And then you can tell when it's the same temperature as your skin. It's perfect. So you pour it in a glass jar, pop in the kefir starter, uh, put the lid on. You don't want air getting in the jar. And then you want to put it in something where the temperature remains stable. I have a little long skinny heating pad that I just wrap around. You know, I just, I, I make this little corral and I put the jar in the middle of that. But a lot of people, the temperature in their house fluctuates and it gets cold at night and warmer during the day or whatever, especially in the winter. The most important thing in fermenting is that you keep the temperature stable while it's turning into fermented milk. And then, you know, 16, 18, 24 hours, it's turned into kefir. So you shake it up real well and put it in the refrigerator and just enjoy it. But because it's fermented, the protein's been broken down and it's easier to digest. The fats have been pre-digested and it's loaded with even more beneficial bacteria that are now going to get into the mother's gut. And then when her baby's born and the baby passes through the birth canal, the baby's exposed to that bacteria and the baby gets that bacteria on him or her and, and in them, in them and on them. And that begins the development of their immune system. Uh, and that's critical because the baby's not born with a strong immune system. They have very, very little um, immunity, but they've been born into a world with tons of bacteria and potentially bad viruses and things. So a little bit of protection uh, is given to the human baby from the mother. A little bit of antibodies are passed from the mother to the baby. If she's got a strong immune system, the mother passes her um, antibodies to the baby. But... Um, you know, that colostrum immediately right after birth is real, is a big shot of protection. And then the mother's milk changes every week and every month throughout the, the time that mother's feeding the baby. She's, the milk is constantly changing to meet that baby's needs. It's very, very miraculous, really. Another thing that's happening in the very, very beginning, which is why the milk is so important, is the milk contains, um, the milk is mostly whey protein, by the way. It very, doesn't have much casein in it. It's mostly whey protein, 70% whey protein, uh, 30% casein. But it contains a lot of sugars, milk sugars. And those milk sugars are vital for latching on to the cells of the baby. You know, so the baby drinks the milk, gets the milk sugars down in their gut. So the milk sugar latches on to the baby's cell, uh, gut lining, and protects those, that cell. And then if a baby does get exposed to something like a virus, then that cell is covered, protected. It's got the little guardian angel sitting there protecting it from the virus. And then the baby will um, just be able to pass that virus on by and won't become sick. Now, in other countries, many, many babies, unfortunately, die from infections that they catch after birth because their mothers are using, you know, soy milk formulas that are sent over from the U.S., unfortunately. But um, we need those milk. We need the milk. We need the milk sugar to protect the baby after birth, too. What happens if a woman has a cesarean and the baby is well, not up through the birth canal? Well, um, then doesn't get those, the baby doesn't get those early, um, that early exposure, but you can duplicate that, you know. Um, I, I don't think mothers are told that, you know, well, you had a cesarean section, now your baby is going to have a different type of bacteria and is, 
in his uh, gut. So what we do about ecology is we, you know, hopefully the mother's been drinking uh, coconut kiwi throughout her pregnancy, and she's also been eating cultured vegetables. So she's still drinking those, and so she'll take a dropper full of the coconut kiwi and put that in the baby's gut. You know, put it in his mouth, it gets down into his uh, little gut. And now he's going to start digesting his milk really, really well. Um, you can you can get a healthy inner ecosystem going in that baby that has had the C-section, but the milk is critical. So is the mother going to breastfeed? That might even be a more important question to um, ask. Hopefully she'll want to breastfeed because there's lots and lots of research showing that the breastfed baby has completely different type of bacteria in his gut. Um, breastfed babies grow up not having a weight problem, babies that are fed other types of milk, like cow milk in particular, build the, they uh, grow up with bigger bones, but always have a tendency to put on weight versus the breastfed baby who finds it very easy to stay slender. So the milk after birth, too, is important. Of course, you know, if a mother has been feeding herself well during the pregnancy, uh, then when her, the nature knows exactly what to do, so it switches over now and baby's out and now is producing, mother's now producing this milk. And so the milk will be rich with all the important nutrients that are needed to grow the baby. And, and so really, uh, you know, it's something, it's a continuum. Like it isn't just about what happens in the womb, it's also what happens after the baby's born too. Nutrition is always at the healthy lack of, you know, being in a non-stressful environment, being happy, and being well-nourished is the most basic thing that every woman should have. I think our culture is going to change because we're going to get more and more concerned. Uh, you know, a lot of violent things are happening to our children. We, we see a lot of violence. Uh, we know we're raising emotionally uh, ill people. <laughs> And um, there, and the more we look at that, we realize, you know, it, I think we're going to realize that it's got to start with what we feed our kids in the womb. I don't know if you've heard of uh, Roy Dittman. He just wrote a oh, yeah, book called Bright and Baby. Yeah, it's a great book. Some of the mothers that I coach do a combination of body ecology and, and then Roy Dittman's work, yeah. Oh, right, yeah. He mm-hmm. predicted by... I think it's 2040. He's predicting 10% of children will be born with autism. So, you know, we're beginning to see more and more what a huge problem this is. He calls it like, you know, the silent epidemic in his Mm -hmm. book. No one's Mm -hmm. talking about it, but it is so scary. And I think, you know, as things get worse, it's like, Charles Dickens says it's the worst of times, but it's the best of times. It's the worst of times in that one out of 54 kids are being born with autism, but it's mm-hmm. the best of times in that there's so many extraordinary tools. Like you're talking about women can get their genes tested and their baby's genes tested to see what is best for them and their bodies and their development. So, you know, there's exciting things ahead and just having access to all, like, you know, probiotics and coconut kefir and really good olive oil, we have the tools. People just needed to be educated about what they are, when to use them, and maximize their full potential to have extraordinary health. And I think, you know, perhaps everything is going to have to fall apart before people really make a concerted effort to eat right, reduce stress, remove mm-hmm. environmental toxicities. Well, you know, I've watched because I, you know, belong to the baby boomer generation. 
watch my parents and my grandparents, you know, the, I, and then now my own children who are having children. Uh, I've, I've always been kind of fascinated by the different generations and, and, and what they do. And your generation, the generation of people, young men and women having babies right now, are uh, very well educated, but they're free think. They think yeah, on their own, like they're not going to just do what the doctor says to do, like our like our parents did, for example. They're going out. They're educating themselves. They're learning. They um, they have a big. It's it's a scary time. I mean, it's scary to be having a baby today, and you really do have to be more prepared than ever because there's never been a time where there've been there have been so many toxins on the planet. There's never been a time where we've had so many you know poisons in our food, and there's and so babies are more at risk than they have ever been. So it's going to take a conscious, aware parent to um, protect that baby, bring these healthy babies into the world. Unfortunately, there's just too many people on the planet and too many people that. Um, are not conscious and they're just having popping out babies um, left and right and they are you know we're, we're growing a civilization of people that are are, are um, not right emotionally and mentally not right and we, we're seeing a lot of that today I think in some of the killings and things that we see going on with these young kids their brain isn't developed properly so Thank God that there's this conscious movement going on and, and parents like you, for example, that took the time and realized the importance of creating a healthy baby. It's a real gift to the world, especially now. Uh, but I think your generation is going to be the generation that brings the awareness to the forefront and, and then finally changes will occur. But, um, there's, um, it's a, it's a dangerous time to, I mean, the, the world's crazy right now. It really is. And we're going to need these healthy children coming into the world to kind of save the planet right now. You know, it's an interesting thing because I've watched the kids that, you know, I've helped um, coach their parents and who had kids like you have, Rebecca. And uh, like we have children that in our bedrock group, it stands for Body Ecology Diet, Recovering Our Kids. It's a group that I started about 10 years ago with a group, bunch of moms uh, for autism to help the kids recover from autism. But then, you know, they, the, the parents went on to have um, other babies, and so they were real conscientious and ate the fermented foods and ate really well when they were having their next baby. So, of course, those children don't have autism at all. But what they do have is they're extremely bright, extremely uh, resilient, they are, uh, you can see how charismatic they are. That's one thing I find fascinating about them. Like they walk in the room and they kind of take over and light up the room. And they're so positive. They remind me of those little punching bags that have the sand in the bottom. When you hit them down, they bounce right back up because they're so positive. They didn't even notice that something, you know, there's a little bump in the road for them. They're just on to the next best thing. And these kids are the ones that are going to be able to really change the world. You know, with that kind of positive vibration, they'll always draw to them a very, very very successful, happy life. You know, again, it starts in the womb. I'm seeing it actually happen. But um, there's a real interesting study that came out recently, um, actually just last I see, this is April, so it was in March, and it was in the Journal of Child Psychology and Psychiatry. And what they did was they tested um, babies who were malnourished in the very beginning of their life, and then the babies were um, discovered, you know, by the social services, and then, then the babies were fed very well for the rest of their life. The families were given food and so on. But those early, uh, that very beginning, very, the very beginning of life malnourished like that, they discovered that um, they were quite different, unfortunately. They had much more anxiety. They were more vulnerable to stress. They and more vulnerable to hostility. They they mistrusted other people. They got angry very easily, and they were very depressed. And then they also, as they continue to um, 
studied them most, they, they noticed they lacked intellectual curiosity, social warmth, cooperativeness, and willingness to try new experiences. And they, they weren't very conscientious yet, you know, so, so if you have a child, uh, like you, you have, Rebecca, for example, you'll notice they're more extroverted, they're much more open to new experiences, and they're much more conscientious when they do something, they want to do it right. That's the kind of human being we need in the world right now. And they're not enough parents, cre- uh, consciously creating these kind of babies and we desperately need them. Donna, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate your mission in providing people with the education they need to make the best choices for their health and their baby's health. For those of you listening, on Monday, May 6th at the Orange County Hilton in Costa Mesa, Donna Gates will be taking the stage and continuing to educate people on how to prepare their bodies before they have a baby to ensure that not only they are healthy, but they have beautiful, healthy babies as well. Please join us at the Master's Workshop. You can register by visiting www.thelongevitynowconference.com. It's the Monday special event, an intimate workshop following our Longevity Now Conference. Thank you so much, Donna. Always a pleasure. Oh, thank you, Rebecca. This is a gift to me to be able to get this information out. And the world really needs healthy babies now. So David's always done important work, but I think this is his most important work. I'm thrilled that you all are bringing this information to the world. This program was brought to you by thebestdayever.com. Thanks for listening. 